You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Jennifer's evil. I know. No, I mean, she's actually evil, not high school evil. Chip is looking really cute to me lately. How is he tasting these days? You are never a good friend. You could have anybody that you want. Hi, Chip. You're killing people. No, I'm killing boys. Are you scared? I thought you only murdered boys. I go both ways. I will finish you if I have to, okay? You can barely finish gym class. Hi, this is Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Jallo. Today, I'm joined over the phone by my friend Serafina, and we're going to be talking about Jennifer's Body from 2009, written by Diablo Cody, directed by Karen Kusama, and starring Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, and Adam Brody is also in it. <laughs> so, Serafina, <laughs> do you want to say a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're about? Hi, um, I'm Serafina Wilder. Uh, I am an LA-based burlesque performer, and uh, when I'm not stripping, <laughs> I am, um, you know, studying, getting my master's degree, and doing other weird shit during the day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what are you getting your master's in? Just, I know, but you know, just so the the listeners know, <laughs> I'm getting my master's in English literature with a focus on sexual deviancy and medieval literature. God, that's so fucking cool, Serafina. Like, <laughs> it, that's there's, has there ever been a cooler like master's focus? I I don't know if there has. Been. <laughs> Um, I would hope so. I'm pretty sure my uh, advisor was like, you fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's amazing. Like, and uh, you're, you're, you're amazing. Um, oh, thank you. So you picked for our episode, we had been going forth back and forth about a few things. Like we, you were thinking preaching to the perverted, which I ha have actually not been able to get like my hands on. So I still haven't seen it. 
Um, you have to come watch it with me. <laughs> yes, I have to go back to LA and watch it with you. And uh, we also were going to do, we might have done Dancing at the Blue Iguana, but then you suggested Jennifer's Body. And I think that is a great movie to do because I think a lot of people have seen it, especially people our age. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it just turned 10 years old, like really recently. Uh, uh-huh. So it's really you know, prescient. So what made you want to do this movie? Like when did you first see it and what did you think about it when you saw it? Um, I saw Jennifer's body, I would say roughly like when it came out actually, like not like in theaters, but when it came like out on DVD and I saw it, um, I was really into the idea of a horror film with a female protagonist. And, uh, I also like the idea of Megan Fox being the villain. But this is also during that time when everyone was like really not into Megan Fox. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I also just, I love horror movies and I love horror comedies specifically. And uh, it looked funny. I, when I saw the trailer, I was like, this is going to be really campy. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Um, and I think at the time, like, you know, what's weird about it is I remember it being billed as a rape revenge movie and Mm. it's not really like it, it, it is metaphorically, but it's not, there's no like literal rape in the movie. Um, and I have always been a huge fan of rape revenge films. So that's kind of what made Mm -hmm. me go see it. And also, I mean, it, it was 2009, I was like 19, and uh, I think, like, Juno had come out not long ago, and uh, uh-huh. I I guess, like, I was sort of interested to see what kind of horror movie Diablo Cody was going to write, and <laughs> I remember, like, I didn't love it when I first saw it, and it was only when I re... Because I thought it was going to be something really different, and then when mm. I rewatched it, I, like, really loved it, so mm-hmm. that is my background with the movie. Um, so Diablo Cody and it's written by Diablo Cody, directed by Karen Kusama. Uh, they wanted, they said that they wanted to make a teen horror movie like the lost boys. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was comedic, but also dark and focused on teenage girls, not teenage boys. And mm-hmm. that's really interesting because I'm actually doing an episode on the lost boys soon. So this is a really good, like double episode for that. Um, (laughs) Yes, and they wanted to subvert male-dominated horror tropes where women are being terrorized so that then thus Jennifer's body and the title is comes from as we know a whole song of course yes (laughs) so that you know it kind of like automatically gives it this like riot girl feel and aesthetic to it like it's so obviously Mm -hmm. directed at girls Mm -hmm. um and, and Jennifer's body song is so amazing and also very dark at the same time as well. So Yeah, so. totally. I yeah, and I you know, at the time when it came out, like I was such one of those like assholes who was mad that people didn't know it was a whole song. <laughs> uh, Cuz I mean it, it adds something to the movie like to know that. Yes. Uh mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And Diablo Cody 
started writing it right after Juno in 2007, and then the movie came out in 2009. Um, so Diablo Cody had sort of like now made a name for herself as specializing in this snarky, over-the-top teen dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as we know, but some people might not know, she started her writing career when she was a stripper. And she had mm-hmm. a, a, right, and she had a popular blog in 2003 about stripping called The Pussy Ranch, where she wrote under the name Darling Girl. Um, so this is like a lot of, a lot was made of this when Juno came out, like her background as a stripper and, um, also because at 27, she had already written a memoir called Candy Girl, A Year in the Life of an Unlikely Stripper, which like I, full disclosure, I haven't read any of that. Um, I have not read it. My, like, I know of Diablo Cody. I think for me, what stands out in my mind about her is that she wore like a leopard print dress to some award show yes. and people were freaking out. Yes. <laughs> this, this was a moment like Diablo Cody, Megan Fox. Like this was definitely a moment. Um, and she, Karen Kusama, she made her debut feature film debut in 2000 with the film Girl Fight. Um, mm-hmm. And she went on to direct Eon Flux and Jennifer's Body. And her most recent film is Destroyer, starring Nicole Kidman, which I haven't seen yet. Um, but Kusama is really known for her female protagonists and the feminist themes in her work. Um, she said herself that she's a feminist filmmaker and that she's most interested in telling women's stories. And mm-hmm. but I, I really wanted to talk about Megan Fox. <laughs> so let's talk about yeah let's talk about (laughs) megan fox so when she did this film she she had made her well first of all something i recently found out was that she went on a really strict diet to look like a teenager and she weighed 97 Mm -hmm. pounds in this film so oh my god i know it's like it really it's kind of sick um so she made her film debut in 2004 opposite Lindsay Lohan and Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, of course. Mm-hmm. And in 2007, her breakout role was when she was the love starred as the love interest of Shia LaBeouf, another person who's fallen from grace in Transformers. <laughs> and this was oh, like, you mean the Oscar nominated Transformers. <laughs> yes, yes, awkward Shia in Transformers. <laughs> And at the time, like the mid aughts, was this was a you know an intre- like it's an interesting time because we were like teens, and Megan Fox rose to fame as a sex symbol. She was in Maxim, Rolling mm-hmm. Stone, um, and L.A. Times called her the first bona fide sex symbol of the twenty first century. Um, wow! Yes, yeah. So she was it back then. I remember like she was fucking mm-hmm. everywhere, like. She, was. she literally and people the interesting thing about it is uh, so she was raised like really st- a strict Pentecostal actually um, mm-hmm. and she fell from grace like right before this movie Jennifer's Body because in 2009 she was like under fire for comments she made comparing the Transformers director Michael Bay to Hitler. So, yeah, yeah. So Michael Bray did not bring her back for the third Transformers movie. And since then, she has never enjoyed the success that she had in her early acting days. Um, So she really fell. Um, And despite being considered a sex symbol, 
she has said herself that she's not very sexual and that men in particular mm-hmm. make her extremely uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, she's not on record saying that, too. Yeah. I mean, she's actually, at the time, like, when it wasn't trendy yet, she was very critical of men in the industry. So mm-hmm. that... I mean, I think like now with everything going on with the Me Too, the rise of Me Too and all that stuff, I am predicting that Megan Fox will have some kind of like comeback. Um, I hope so. I hope so, too. I think she's great. I think like she's really beautiful and like outspoken and people hate that. So I think (laughs) that's part of why she's just not seen anymore. Um and she said that when she like she said that the sex symbol persona that she cultivated was a character that she created for her public image because she was mm-hmm. unwilling to sacrifice her true self to the world. And I think anyone who's done sex work can really relate to that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that really resonates uh, with me. Not to interject, but interjecting. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I recall. I recall seeing an interview with her where they were asking, I think it was like one of those New York Times bits where they have the actors sit down and they ask them like a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, they asked Megan Fox about her Marilyn Monroe tattoo, which I think she's had it removed now. She has, yeah. But she was saying something about how she really gravitated towards Marilyn Monroe creating a persona as an actress. Mm. So I think that's interesting that you mentioned that she built this persona because that kind of mirrors what Marilyn Monroe was doing according to Megan Fox. So I always got the feeling that her persona was a little bit put on, but not in an annoying way, just that she was kind of aware of how the media was consuming her image. Oh yeah, Yeah. definitely. And she's gotten it removed. She said she got it removed because she doesn't want to emulate that tragic life and story so Mm -hmm. which I mean kind of goes hand in hand with her like really disappearing from the public eye so it's I mean yeah she's very self-aware and at the time I think people just thought she was like this hot bimbo with like not a thought in her head Mm -hmm. and like you know obviously you know that's something that Marilyn Monroe also went through so Mm -hmm. it's you know there's a really apt comparison there and she was at the time like celebrated for her sexuality and derided like people thought she was you know she was on all these covers and everything but then people thought started to feel like she was overexposed um and the popular pre-men's rights blog (laughs) askmen.com oh my god i remember them yeah they oh yes i remember them they even they called for like a media boycott of her (laughs) so which was like in the news yeah i know fuck (laughs) off so it's (laughs) like i mean it's like she couldn't win and i mean you can't win as a woman that's like the you're too hot or you're too ugly like something you know so it's you just can't win. no you can't win and I mean this is somebody who was like playing into everything that the male gaze wanted of her and still could not win mm-hmm. so it's you know very, they didn't want her to win no they did not want her to win and they didn't want her to be <laughs> outspoken and self-aware um oh no 
No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have a note here that Amanda, because Amanda Seyfried is obviously also in the movie, um, and her mm-hmm. career is just not that interesting to talk about, but it is worth <laughs> noting that her breakout role was Mean Girls, as we know. Um, mm-hmm. But she hasn't. She's been very, like, you know, kind of quiet. She doesn't really have, like, a super huge public persona or anything. She just kind of... But she was in... Okay, so I know you're also a fan of erotic thrillers. Of course. And she was in that movie with Julianne Moore, Chloe, which I right. thought... I have my own thoughts about that movie, but I will say it was a good performance by Amanda. I can never pronounce her name correctly, so I always just say Amanda. No, I'm it's like, fine. Oh, I mean, no, no. I mean, she's a good, like, I like her as an actress. Um, I think, like, she, something interesting to notice, she really wanted this part because she sort of wanted to break out of, like, just playing a hot bimbo kind of character. Hello. So that is interesting. Um, so when the movie came out, it received some positive reviews, but mostly negative. Um, (laughs) and a lot of people think like since, since again, like since the rise of me too, the film has been reevaluated as a feminist classic. Um, and like, it's widely thought that the negative reviews that it received were because it was being looked at through this misogynist horror lens where like horror writers think that everything is for men like and this wasn't so right. it's was just not given the respect that it deserves as a movie um mm-hmm. there the writer constant grady writing for vox said of the sacrifice scene that a group of powerful men sacrificing a girl's body on the altar of their own professional advancement is uncomfortably relevant for our time And she also compared the way the band mocks Jennifer during the sacrifice to Dr. Christine Blasey Ford's account of being assaulted by Brett Kavanaugh. So yeah, I saw that article. Yeah, Yeah. and actually, I'm going to link it all in my Patreon. All the articles I read to do research for this, and my also my friend Sarah wrote uh, a really great article about the sort of the anniversary of Jennifer's body, and I'm mentioned in it for uh point- I saw that too yeah <laughs> for pointing out that uh needy is like her name is needy les basically needy les nikki <laughs> so I, I you know whether or not that was intentional I don't know um but that so that is the background of Jennifer's body um so we can start talking about the plot all right let's get into it you mean the very complicated almost russian literature style plot of this movie oh my god yeah that's a really interesting comparison um why do you feel like it's a russian literature style plot (laughs) uh i just feel that there's you know it seems very simple the plot but it's also kind of deceptively simple like there's more there's more to meet the eye with this movie because uh, I feel like there's a lot going on with it in subtext. Yeah. No, the subtext totally. is almost as poignant as the plot itself. I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, but watching it last night, I was like, oh, my God, the subtext is running the show. <laughs> oh, my God, totally. And I think, you know, I think it was intentional. Like Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama said in multiple interviews around the film that – 
you know, they all of these things were really intentional and that um, they were really talking about larger issues in the movie. <laughs> so the movie opens with Amanda Seyfried, uh, needy, in a hospital. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> It, she's getting uh, she gets she's getting a lot of letters so we know that she's like kind of famous for something bad and mm-hmm. one of like her major acts in the beginning is that she kicks a nurse in the face and gets thrown into solitary that's where she starts to narrate and weave her tale so <laughs> <laughs> um it's an interesting opening i mean like we already know from the outset that like something fucked up has happened um, right, and we cut now to Devil's Kettle, which is a ta- a small town that has this uh, falls, like this these waterfalls, and in in the waterfalls is looks like water vortex where people throw things right. into it, and it, they don't know where it comes out of, they don't know where it leads out of, so that's called Devil's Kettle. Very Freudian. Yes. Very oh my God, so <laughs> Freudian. Yes. Um, yeah. And this is the first time we see Jennifer, and she doesn't look good. She's watching a workout infomercial, and she's picking at her skin. And we see Needy sneak up through the window and says, Jennifer didn't always look this rough. And that is when we really get start to get into what the backstory of what happened. Um, right. And we cut back to the past where we see that Jennifer is this gorgeous cheerleader. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the beauty of Megan Fox is really, like, showcased here. Um, oh, she, they really, they really went for maximum glamour right there. <laughs> they did. And she's, like, I mean, just, like, the perfect, like, beautiful cheerleader from any teen movie. Um, I know. I have to point out that I love that it's not even just cheerleading. She's doing tall flags. <laughs> what is that? Tell me. Tall flags is like, okay, it's like a subset of cheerleading. And, you know, I don't know a lot about it. I did it briefly for about like two weeks and then decided to stop doing it. Um, so it's kind of like, I've heard other people refer to it as magical, but I know that we also refer to it as flags. So you're like dancing but you have these giant tall flags that you're like spinning around. So it can look really cool. And I love that they decided to go with that as her cheerleading as opposed to, um, you know, just standard cheerleading. Oh, yeah, because it's like That's majestic. Standard cheerleading. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Needy says, she's like looking at Jennifer from the bleachers longingly and she says, sandbox love never dies. And this girl, uh, Chastity taunts Needy that she's like in love with Jennifer and she's a total les. And this is like when the like love, the the, like sexual and the love, the romantic tension between them is immediately on display <laughs> and she called her lesbian gay right yes yeah <laughs> she's like you're like in love with her i mean and she so obviously is um <laughs> and low shoulder is oh my god <laughs> jennifer wants to go see low shoulder the band uh fronted by uh-huh. adam brody <laughs> uh and she wants to go see them because she saw them on myspace <laughs> and Long live my- 
<laughs> yes. And she wants to go with Needy and she says wear something cute. And Needy says like this is code. Like she couldn't she couldn't look like a total zero, but she also couldn't upstage her. So that's what Jennifer it's means so by wear something cute. It's it's so I mean yeah, Jennifer and Needy are in like a twenty four seven SM relationship in this movie. <laughs> like she completely like so much Yeah. Yeah. So much so that Chip comments on it. Yes. He's like he's like, you always do what Jennifer wants you to do. Like he has this Chip is a fascinating character for me in the sense that he's so boring. Like he's literally like when I was watching the movie, I was like, his name is Chip. That's all I can Oh, my God. And it has to be on purpose. Like, that's a really good point. Because, I, yeah. I hope it's on purpose. <laughs> it has to be. I mean, he's just like some everyman. I mean, there's, yeah, there's... he's like. Go ahead. <laughs> he's always like. So he was like, oh, my God, I pay like way too much. He <laughs> tells uh, Needy that it's weird how she just knows that Jennifer is there. Yeah, they're telepathically connected. And because they're lesbian gay. Because they're lesbian gay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like, you know, it's interesting too because there's like a couple, there's all the, the women in this movie are archetypes, but they're like fleshed out. But the men in this mm-hmm. movie are archetypes, but they have like no backstory or anything really going on. Like, but they're, they're just they like, yeah, like Chip is just kind of every nice kind of generic high school boy. Colin is like a generic emo boy. Um, what's his name? The guy who gets ripped apart. Jonas is like some football jock. Like there's just like a couple of archetypes of men. And like Adam Brody is like the, you know, band guy that you think is like really cute and sensitive, but is actually like an absolute misogynist. So yeah, it's a reversal. It's a reversal of what we see in horror films that are male dominated where women get reduced being archetypes. Exactly. Exactly. So that's it's a really good point you bring up. Um, and Needy is, like like you said, telepathically connected to Jennifer. Uh, and, you know, this is like we start getting Diablo Cody's, like, famous snarky teen phrases where, you know, uh, Megan is like, you're jealous. You're li- you're totally jello. You're lime green jello. Like, no actual teenager talks like this, but it it sounds like they could. Like, it's it's very, like, Heather's. Um, it's very YA novel, like <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. So Jennifer and Needy head to Melody Lane, which is the shitty bar in town, and we see that a bunch of guys there are obsessed with Jennifer. We see Chris Pratt right. <laughs> and a young younger Chris Pratt, and he's like a cadet, and he's fucking Jennifer or whatever. Um, oh wait, but the Uncle Cody's also in that scene. Oh, he's is the she? bartender. Oh my god, I didn't even notice. <laughs> Yeah, there's a split second where they show Diablo Cody. She's wearing, like, flannel or something, and they show her for a brief second, and she looks very annoyed. (laughs) Hilarious. Oh, my God, that's great. Um, Mm -hmm. And Adam Brody is the singer of Low Shoulder. Adam Brody was – was the OC still on at this point? I think so. Yes, I think so. Yeah, and I think, like, he plays such an asshole in this movie, and he's... I never watched The O.C., full disclosure. I really should. But it... I... I believe on that show that he's, like, more... He's, like, a nice, sweet 
guy on the OC, right? Yeah. So yeah, this, he's playing against Yeah, <laughs> and now he's playing an asshole in this movie. So it's like he he kind of you know wanted to show his range. Um, so Jennifer says to Needy. Like, don't be nervous around boys. They're just boys. Morsels. We have all the power. So she immediately calls them morsels, which is foreshadowing for what's going to happen. And Jennifer introduces herself to Adam Brody, and she's awkward around the band, like a normal teenage girl. And I was wondering, do you think this is an act, or is she like a calculated seductress? Um, where she's just pretending I, to be awkward. Ooh, you know, when I was watching it last night, there was something that jumped out at me. Like, uh, I feel that Jennifer's character is like really perplexing because of that scene in question. Um, it definitely doesn't come off as an act. Like, if anything, her confidence is the one that feels a little more artificial. Mm. Because when she's talking to the guy, she's like, oh, they're like, you know, so stylish. They're from the city and, you know, and shit like that, you know. Uh, and then she buys them a shooter, right? Like the she 9-11 buys them, like, a tribute shooter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that yeah, is so just, 2009. Oh, gosh. But then I also thought, you know, what we, what we know about the band, was that like some kind of... Uh, forces that play that were working on Jennifer like who knows yeah no that's right like look when you rewatch the movie you could you start to see that a, a lot of things are actually like part of the band's witchcraft uh basically mm-hmm. um so the rocker dudes <laughs> low shoulder are talking about how <laughs> Jennifer is or is not a virgin amongst themselves and you know, it sounds kind of just like a standard gross misogynist conversation. Like, nobody has any idea this is, like, a satanic sacrifice. Um, and Nady over Needy overhears and is horrified and confronts him and tells him, she is a virgin. Which I was like, girl, why? Like, don't, don't even say anything. Um, so... Needy tells Jennifer about how they were talking about her and she says she like laughs and she's like I'm not even a backdoor virgin anymore (laughs) thanks to Roman (laughs) yeah exactly um and then they sing their song through the trees and it's so that song is so like mid-aughts indie rocker like it perfectly encapsulates that time in music um but i hate it so much i hate it so so bad i mean it's it's everything that's bad that was bad about that genre like they put it into that one song Uh, (laughs) and i'm i personally am thrilled that that moment of music is over um Needy. But do you think Jennifer, in all honesty, would have been listening to a band like Low Shoulder? I was a bit confused by that. I, I don't always thought think she was so. Funny. Yeah. Like no, a pop kind of. Person. No, she would have been listening to pop music. I mean, I was like only at this point, like a year and a half out of high school, I feel like. So I was pretty. Mm-hmm. I was like, I remember girls like that. And um, they were not listening to that music. Like the, the people who were listening to that, I, I wasn't either. I was like into golf and all that shit. But I remember like my friends yeah. who were listening to that kind of music were like nerd. They were like nerdy people. Like, yeah. With like yeah, thick glasses. I- <laughs> 
Yeah, they were like wearing messenger bags. Yes. Like, this is not. <laughs> yes. They were like wearing messenger bags and like reading questionable content, like that yeah, webcomic. Like... Yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, saying like, I am the sex. I don't like, it just wasn't, you know, like. They already love you dinosaur. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was, she wasn't like the kind of person that was listening to this music. Um, so the bar goes up definitely in a Britney. Definitely a Britney <laughs> or like Fergalicious on repeat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um the Pussycat Dolls. Like, the Pussycat Dolls, you know. yes. And I actually also liked all that stuff. Um but who <laughs> it's pop music, who Same. doesn't like it? Uh and the needy spots the fire and the bar like goes up in flames and needy and Jennifer escape through the bathroom window and Jennifer like this you like to your point about like the forces of the band Jennifer is kind of hypnotized and in a trance and Adam Brody finds them and he's like drinking a beer and he's like well I was looking for all over for you guys <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, they escape and like all these people in the bar fucking die and Adam Brody what the hell is his name in the movie I forget his character name I don't remember his name it'll always be Adam Brody the bar scene is like the first taste of horror we actually really get because like you see people on fire there's like you bones cracking and then this emo indie guy is like oh yeah that sucks you're town bar is on fire have a drink <laughs> yeah it's really like it's very funny that the contrast there um and highlights like what an absolute creep he is and Ugh, so creepy so movie. creepy and he's like trying to get them to come to his van and he's being a typical creepy guy and jennifer wants to go to the van she's like i want to go to your cool van and needy <laughs> is begging her not to but ultimately jennifer gets in without her and this is like one of mm-hmm. the first major themes of the movie is like girls protecting girls from other creeps and girls right. growing up and choosing guys over each other and having to watch and accept that your friend is like choosing this dangerous situation over you. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And I don't or choosing know. heterosexuality over you as well, because we know that Needy is like low key in love with Jennifer and she's watching her friend like choose this creepy dude and his what did she call the van like a rapist van yeah which it is yeah yeah you know and you know you're watching your friend get into this car and just being like utterly powerless to stop it it's like it's like that's where the real horror for me was in the movie watching these scenes with the band I was like, this is actually scarier than anything else in the movie. <laughs> oh, everything that comes after this is like wildly entertaining and like this hilarious kind of revenge story. And this mm-hmm. is really, you're right. This is like the scariest part of the movie because I'm sure like we've all, like women have all been there, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. queer women <laughs> when mm-hmm. you're like in love with your friend and she's like choosing these yeah like you said like these gross creeps over you and yeah there's nothing you can do about it because people have to make their own decisions and Mm -hmm. it's and there's I've been in situations where I desperately wanted somebody to not hook up with some guy and then they did and it ended Mm -hmm. up being really horrible and like non-consensual and I felt so much guilt over it yeah like I could have done something 
Um, right. And it's like, well, what could you have done? Like, cause then that scene, we're all kind of like with needy, like she couldn't physically get Jennifer to move cause Jennifer went on her own volition. But then you also see the lore of the band and how there's so many of them and they just, Oh, it's very, to me, that part was just so scary. Cause when they close the van door, you get this feeling. It's like watching 48 hours on TV, like that true crime show. And you're like, this is not going to end well. It's like, no. Yeah. And that shot of like them locking eyes as the van door closes and mm-hmm. it's, you know, the the spell that Jennifer is under is very, like, metaphorical. Like, young girls mm-hmm. are often under a kind of, like, spell of older guys, like, treating them like they're, they're adults when they know full well that they're not. I mean, that's the other Basic. thing. She's, yeah. like, 16. Like, mm-hmm. these guys are adults. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, the other really creepy part about it. Um so, There's also a really good line that Needy has in that scene, um, because I know we were talking about uh, Diablo Cody's snarky writing, but there was one line that actually jumped out at me as being very realistic when Needy's like, he was skinny, twisted, and evil. Yeah, <laughs> like this evil tree that she saw when she was a kid. Yeah, it's... Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that horrible that feeling. so well. It was so good. And yeah. it's that horrible feeling where you just like know that somebody is bad mm-hmm. news and your friend can't see it. Uh, Needy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a horrible feeling. <laughs> uh, Needy calls yeah, Chip and tells him about the fire and, and uh, Jennifer. And Chip is wildly unsympathetic about Jen- Jennifer. He's like, why do you care? Like, um, he's like, people died. Why do you care? It's like, okay, well, people die, but she could be like getting gang raped in this van. Like yeah, Chip doesn't care. He's like, oh, who cares? I know. I I actually really hated him this rewatch. Um, and as I keep saying, his name is Chip. Yeah, his name is fucking Chip. Yeah, like I used to work with some asshole named Chip when I was in high school at a pharmacy, and I just like associate them together. Um, this is when a crazed Jennifer breaks into Needy's house and terrifies her. And Jennifer is covered in blood and she looks insane. And she smiles this yes. creepy smile uh, and raids Needy's fridge and starts feasting on a whole chicken. <laughs> and she. Th- that was from Boston Market. That's from fucking Boston Market, yeah. And she throws up a bunch of black spiky goo all over Needy. And. There's this really, like, hot moment, too, where Jennifer pushes Needy up against the wall and seductively smells her and asks if she's scared. Um, okay, I knew you were going to comment on that part. <laughs> you know me. <laughs> I was watching it last night, and I was like, you know. <laughs> that is. This is that so- it was hot. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> Um, and they, because this is the first instance we see of Jennifer having uh, there's that sexual fear and that fear of being like gay. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, there's a, a double entendre going there, asking her if she's scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also like um, equating, uh, which is very common in horror of, of queerness and monstrosity. And mm-hmm. the feeling of being an other, and that is very prevalent in this movie. 
Um, and there's it's like some very subtle and not so subtle ways that they do it. Um, mm-hmm. Needy, there's, uh, oh, at school the next day, everybody's talking about the fire. Needy has this like flashback of her and Jennifer, flashback of her and Jennifer in the sandbox as kids. And she's like, you know, telling Jennifer she'll never snitch on her. Mm-hmm. And Needy is shocked to see Jennifer. She comes to class and she seems completely unfazed, even though last night she was like crazed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Needy tells Chip about the previous night with Jennifer and he tells her to go talk to the school shrink. I hate him even more. Uh, like <laughs> he just is so dismissive of her and he acts like he loves her so much, but he doesn't listen to her until it's too late. Uh, that's true but can we go back just a second about the when she when jennifer shows up to class yes please so when she shows up to class um this is where we get more of jennifer's personality but like she's like ultra bitchy now like everything out of her mouth is so mean like oh yeah she's she's not even a person yeah she's not a nice person and i think maybe says something and she's like uh Jennifer insults her by saying, you know, what's wrong with you aside from the obvious surface flaws? And you're like, ouch, like, so mean. Like, yeah, she's really abusive. She's really abusive. So we see this, we see this, uh, you know, Jennifer that's very cruel, but also very unfazed. She's just so off, like, in that scene. Yeah, and I think the other, th- the reason Needy isn't taking it so personally is because I think she can feel that something is off. Like, she's being more mean than normal. <laughs> uh, yeah, more and, mean than normal. Yeah, which, you know, honestly, like, I can't speak to everybody's experience, but that, after I was raped when I was in high school, I became really mean. And that, you know, it's kind of like, she doesn't get, we know she's, we still at this point in the movie we don't know what's happened to her yet like if you're watching this for the first time so you don't mm-hmm. know what happened to her in the van and of right. course like of course my mind like is gonna go to oh she came back and she's like bloody and like bedraggled mm-hmm. like she was assaulted um mm-hmm. so i mean yeah it's kind of speaks to like this personality shift you can go through after experiencing some really intense trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. So she, and yeah, please continue to like interrupt and backtrack on scenes and stuff. I love it. (laughs) So yeah. But that thing is also, that thing is also interesting in the sense that we see the teacher, like this is some of the humor that's in the movie. (laughs) Yes, the teacher. I kind of like, there's some points where I'm like, um, I feel like there's, funnier moments but the teacher I'm like is he supposed to be funny because he's so out of touch but then he has like a mechanical hand oh my god it's so random like I yeah and you're just like why is it there like what is going on I'm just confused why he has a mechanical hand and why no idea yeah it's it and but it's just like like he's really funny um and yeah yes it is uh and then we meet. We also meet emo Colin, so that he'll become. Oh important. my god! I love Colin. <laughs> yeah, I love Colin too. Colin is me in high school, honestly. Exactly. I'm like, wait, Colin is me. So. <laughs> I mean, later he invites Meg, like Jennifer, to go see 
the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like that, he's me. Yeah. Isn't that a boxing movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really heavily related to him. Um, there's this amazing shot of like the camera zooming in really, really fast over this football field, and it zooms in on Jonas, who's like this big jockey football player, and Jennifer is approaching him. And Jennifer uses the recent death of his friend Craig from the bar to seduce him. And they make out in the, they start making out in the woods. And all of Yeah, because he tells him, he's like, you know, your friend who was dying in a fire, his last words were like, we should hook up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is so funny. Even Jonas is like, I don't think that's what happened, but you're hot, so continue. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they, as they're making out, all of the animals in the woods start to surround them. Um, that part was so creepy. It's really creepy. And it's also like another major theme in the movie, which is women as seen as this primal, evil, sexual force. And mm, yeah. like a lot of accusations of witchcraft back in the day used to be that women could like commune with animals and summon them and, <laughs> and embody them. And watch you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this very like uh, really smart way that they tied in uh, like, you know, women as animal primal in this scene. Um, mm-hmm. And also there's a lot of the, a lot of scenes, really important scenes in this movie take place in the woods. Which is that's what I was gonna mention. Yeah, that a lot of it takes place in the woods, which is always a really gothic you know sort of trope because you don't know what's going to happen in the woods there's something dark about the woods and it you know it hides and obscures a lot of things so the fact that she takes them to the woods is you already feel the dread coming you're like oh no (laughs) yeah don't go into the woods with her like but yeah it's a beautiful shot the woods so like you get this beauty but at the same time a lot of terror Yeah, I mean, the woods is like that kind of romantic notion of the sublime, where it's Mm -hmm. like terrifying and all consuming, but also extremely beautiful and awe inspiring. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of the a lot of the scenes in the movie that take place in the woods have to do with this beauty and violence like tied together. Um, And in this scene in particular, like Jennifer, it's like a you know, kind of beautiful and sexually charged moment, but it's also uh, becomes this horror because Jennifer yeah. unhinges her jaw and eats Jonas. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, because she tells him, you know, do you miss your friend? Well, you're going to see him real soon. Oh I was my like, God. <laughs> I was like, ah! And he's like, what do you mean? Like in heaven? <laughs> Um, I was like, oh, the dick went over his head and now he's going to die. <laughs> exactly. And t- the teacher, the hilarious teacher, hears Jonas like screaming in the woods and he thinks that he's crying. And yeah, he's like, get it out. Get it I all know. out. Let it out, kids. And he goes into, then he, the screaming stops and he gets suspicious and he goes into the woods and he finds a deer eating Jonas's remains. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fucked up scene. Uh, and it also like goes back to the you know the women and animal thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
So next scene, we meet Needy's bedraggled mother, played by Amy Sedaris, uh, <laughs> who has dreamt that bad people were trying to nail Needy to a tree. Uh, like JC. Like JC. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, more themes here, like as you were saying, of like the Gothic, which you heavily uses Catholic imagery. Um, mm hmm. So, and that, that kind of leads into the next scene, uh, where Jennifer is the famous lake sequence. Um, oh yes. Yes. So good. It was in the trailer (laughs) where Jennifer is like completely naked swimming across this lake, like getting all the blood and grime off of her. And then she comes up onto the dock and it's like, one, number one, a subversion of 80s teen sex comedies um, mm-hmm. because that, you know, is a – I mean, I guess the most famous example is like Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, right. and, you know, where a woman like gets out of the pool and it's like slow motion and it's for this male gaze. But for the, in this, it's not for this male gaze. It's like this really scary perversion of it that it like scare the shit out of men who watch it. <laughs> Uh, yeah I really love that scene because I feel like that this was the bait and switch of the movie Uh, the way they marketed the movie it was like oh you're going to see lots of shots of Megan Fox like this and this is like basically the only shot like that in the film just for that moment yep and it's after a moment of of horror yeah yeah a lot of men and boys were thinking "All right, this movie's going to be like non-stop hot Megan Fox and it's like to a degree that was true, but it was always, you know, juxtaposed with lots of horrific images. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you can never really get quite a boner in this movie because <laughs> she's also like targeting men. I fear boner, you yeah. know, that fear boner that. Well, I mean, yeah, like, I'm I mean, scared, but I'm into it. Exactly, <laughs> fear boner is you should you should really patent that term. Um, <laughs> so. Jennifer calls and it's also uh, like ties it to that primal imagery again because she's like completely in charge now of nature around her and she like is mm-hmm. one with it. Um, so Jennifer calls Needy in a great mood <laughs> and is like <laughs> and this is when the, the other famous scene of the movie where she burns her tongue with a lighter and says yeah. I am a god. <laughs> Yeah, that's immortalized on Tumblr, by the way. I've yes. seen it so many times. <laughs> it is a highly Tumblr image. Um, and it's, I mean, it's classic. Like, it's a great moment in the movie. Um, and it shows yeah. you how Jennifer is, like, you know, really coming into her power here. And, mm-hmm. you know, she is kind of a god. I mean, she's, like, you know, feasts on the living to sustain herself. Um, yeah, she says I'm having like the best day since Jesus invented the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yep, she's having a great time. <laughs> so good. Um, that's yeah, that's the other thing is like there's a lot of references to God and Jesus, even when she says I am a God. Um, yeah. So Chip meets up with Needy who tells him that Jonas was ripped limb from limb. And every at school, 
everyone is depressed except Jennifer, who is in an amazing 2009 pink heart hoodie with pink heart earrings. I love that sweater. I want it so much. You need it. You need it. It would look great on you. I need it in my life. Yeah, you really do. I'm about to go on eBay and find it for you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my sister had that hoodie. Oh, my God. Maybe we can get it for you. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's still in her closet. I, just, I thought it was a look. I was like, that's a look. It really is with the like the mini jean skirt. It, it's such a look. Um, I love that she's like walking through the hallway wearing all these feminine tropes, like the pink. And we know that she's like a monster at this point. Yeah, she's literally murdered people and eaten them and eviscerated yeah. them. And she's like in this little pink heart hoodie. <laughs> It's that bait and switch again. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That the movie plays with that a lot. Um, through the trees has thoroughly taken over. No. <laughs> Everyone is obsessed with low shoulder. Um, yeah, because they're donating three percent of the profit from the song. Three percent. <laughs> and but a month goes by and Jennifer was like really high high and now she's really not feeling too hot and mm-hmm. there's like a funny part in the movie where you know Needy says she's PMSing and Megan Megan Fox is like PMS isn't real Needy it, it was invented by the boy run media to make us seem crazy and it's so funny because I love that Karen Kusama and Diablo Cody are playing with this idea of like radicalized, being radicalized as a feminist, meaning now you're like a man eater. Um, she's like a literal man eater now. Yeah. And she's like talking about the boy run media. I mean, it's just really funny because it's like this is sort of how men actually see feminists. Um, yeah, that's the true feminist agenda right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that they are kind of, they're like making fun of it. It's And if you yes. are not aware of like who the audience they're speaking to, like you could, you wouldn't see it. Um, mm-hmm. So this is when Colin asks Jennifer out to see Rocky Horror. <laughs> Uh, same, Colin. <laughs> and uh, Jennifer says to Needy, "My dick is bigger than his." <laughs> I know, I know. God, she's like, I just have to interject again. You know, there's some lines that <laughs> Jennifer's character says that are like, "You're just like, wow, Jennifer, wow." Like, uh, I would almost call it hipster bigotry. Like, because there's <laughs> a line earlier in the movie. Yeah, where she says something to Needy about her nails, and she's like, you should get a Chinese chick to buff them for you. And I'm like, are they doing this to show how evil she is? <laughs> but it's definitely one of those, like, yikes. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of yikes moments from Jennifer, and it, I don't know if it was um, to make her seem evil or if it was supposed to be, like, snarky, like, funny because this is like a this is 2009 and it wasn't that long ago I mean it was only 10 years ago but the conversation around jokes like this was really different so it, yeah so in one aspect the film is kind of like oh okay we hadn't had those conversations in the mainstream discourse yet but it is kind of interesting you're like uh. <laughs> no totally I mean this was still a time when like it was very common for comedians to make rape jokes and you were still oh. seen as like a you know joyless feminist for critiquing those whereas now it's like we kind of 
accept as a culture that that's not okay. So it's right. it's a very not that people don't make them, but it's just a very the conversation was really different. And um, there's like it's identity politics is just really, really heightened right now. And I think at the time, I think they were just kind of making like snarky jokes that ended up in retrospect being like pretty problematic um, mm-hmm. but like even at the time, like when she says, yo, you should get a Chinese chick to buff those out. I remember even at the time I was like, whoa, I don't like that. Yeah. So I was like, whoa. Yeah. And I, you know, I was sort of, I remember like I went, I was like on a little like kind of Diablo Cody, like hate train for a second. Cause I was like, I don't like some of her jokes. And I, I think, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it's worth it's worth noting that this isn't like a perfect bastion of feminist media or anything. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like a some movie with some interesting things going on. Um, yeah, and it's very entertaining. And after like and during that, oh, sorry, no, no, go <laughs> ahead, go ahead. Yeah, uh, considering the early aughts, like. Um, we now have what we call it's like that hipster ironic bigotry where you're like, oh, I'm saying this ironically. Yes. But like, yeah. <laughs> great point. That's a great point. Yeah. Like it's the the hipster bigotry. Um, back when mm-hmm. you could still call back when people were still being called hipsters. Um, <laughs> so what do we call them now? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just feel like it's everybody now. Like it's just taken over. Like everyone is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm. I'm also. I also live in Brooklyn, so it's like <laughs> constant. <laughs> um, maybe I have a warped view. So, uh, needy. After needy says she kind of likes Colin, then that's when Jennifer wants him and invites him oh, over yeah. to watch Aquamarine, another famous 2009 yeah. movie. <laughs> and she's like, it's about a chick who's like half sushi or something. <laughs> and I definitely don't want Jennifer writing movie reviews. Like. Oh my god! <laughs> and Needy and Chip are like also they're having a date at the same time that Jennifer is having a date. And mm-hmm. Jennifer meets Colin at this creepy abandoned house where she's like arranged an area that's lit with candles. It's very satanic. And she also has a hotline where she says we can play mommy and daddy. And, you know, I was into that. I, you know, I was also going to say that. But it's also worth noting during this scene. I had issues with this scene because I was like, Colin, why didn't you notice that this house is, like, abandoned? Like, what's going on? I know. I guess he was just like, I mean, this is another thing. Is like, would Colin have really liked Jennifer? Like, this could also just be part of her spell on people. That's true. And she like lured him in, and even though he knew it was wrong, he still went. Because he's like, you don't even know my last name. Yeah, he still goes because he's like under her power. Um, Yeah, and then she's playing Akon for him. That's her seduction music. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah, (laughs) and she says to him, "I need you frightened, and I need you hopeless." And she, that's when she attacks him. And starts to, you know, eat him alive. And Needy is, like, experiencing, at the same time, Jennifer's thoughts. And while she's Mm -hmm. having sex with Chip, and Jennifer is killing Colin at the same time, she can, like, see it and feel it. 
and she's freaking out and horrified even though chip is like inside her and uh chip thinks she's having like a great time and i know that was also interesting because it sort of speaks to how sex and horror are very entwined for women like yes it's very when you have sex with a man for the first time like it's not you know it it can be really painful because Men don't know what they're doing. Young men don't know what they're doing. And uh, it's famously painful. And it's, you know, also scary because there's so many more risk factors for women who can get pregnant and give birth. Like you, you know, you could get pregnant and need an abortion. You know, he could just kind of try, decide to snap and like assault you. Like there's so yeah. many risk, risk factors that go into that. And there's like an also an old cultural joke of like people thinking that not knowing if hearing screams and not knowing if a woman is like having sex or being killed. Um, right. Right. So in that moment, that's it's kind of like entwined there for her. Um, yeah, and in this scene, it's interesting, too, because, like, we're getting the, you know, the two scenes, and uh, I made a note that the scene with Colin is, like, actually the most brutal murder in the film, because um, we, like, actually see it happen. As with Jonas, we just see her jaw unhinged, but with Colin, who is kind of, like, you know, he's portrayed as effeminate, he gets the brutal treatment, basically. Yeah, like, he's, like, ripped That's to a pieces, good point. basically. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And then Chip kind of ruins the scene for me by going, is it because I'm too big? It's like, not everything is about you, Chip. Shut the fuck up, Chip. <laughs> yeah, this the theme of this episode is that we hate Chip. Um, <laughs> and we see, like, Jennifer slurping up Colin's blood from his dismembered body. Um, mm-hmm. Like, cupping her hands and drinking it. And oh, I know. it's so crazy. Needy drives away like oh. d- distraught. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, you know, there's just so much to note about this um, movie. But also going back to what you were saying about the animals in that scene, don't rats appear? Oh, yeah. And he's like squicked out by him. And she's like, oh, I thought you were like into like dark shit or whatever. And he's like, those are rats. <laughs> Yeah, that you're right. They start like coming out to to be with her. Yeah, the rats appear, and then there's a shot of his hand, his bloodied hand, holding like a rosary. Oh yes, you're right. There's yeah. so much like you know religious and pagan imagery uh, in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a really good point. So. Poor uh, Colin. You should have been dating Needy. <laughs> I know. I really liked Colin actually. Um, so Needy drives away distraught and sees Jennifer in the road looking bloody and feral and Jennifer jumps on her car like a demon and (laughs) Needy runs home and thinks of Jennifer who's actually hiding in her bed (laughs) and surprise surprise, and she pops up and then we have the makeout scene that made us gay, um, (laughs) where, uh, uh, needy and Jennifer. But it also has another one of your kind of lines in it. She's like, "Well, we always play like." Doesn't she say like something about like we always play boyfriend girlfriend? Yeah, or... yeah. She's like, oh. we, she's like, we always sleep in the same bed when we have sleepovers. We could play boyfriend girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and this scene, I mean, like, there's been a lot of sexual tension between them up until this point, and 
there is like a thin line between best friend and lover when you're a high school girl. Like you're Mm -hmm. around each other all the time. You have sleepovers. No one's stopping you from having a sleepover because your parents don't think you're going to have sex. And, you know, a lot of uh, homoerotic stuff goes on. (laughs) So this was, I mean, this is very accurate. And Diablo Cody herself said that she based it on her experiences where she was like really, really close to a female friend and they were basically like in love and in a relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. So also I was wondering too, if Jennifer has like put a spell on needy or has needy always wanted this and maybe Uh like you need the illusion of being under someone's power so you can act on what you really want. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, because, like, I also feel that way, too, because, like, we see that Needy has some sort of, like, assertive personality because, like, you know, she stands up to the band at the bar, and there are moments where her personality do shine through where she is assertive, but I definitely got the feeling that there was some kind of, uh, I don't want to say witchery at play, but, like, some seduction at play here because... One moment she's looking at Jennifer like, how the fuck did you get into my bed? And then they're like making out. Yeah. And like really making out, like not just like a shy kiss. They're like making out. So they're making out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think when I saw this, this was probably my favorite part of the movie. So, but this is when, then they like, I mean, this is also something that happens with teen girls. They trauma bond because Jennifer tells Mm, her about this assault that she experienced with low shoulder, um, where she told the band, well, she, she, she's in the van with them and, um, they're like talking about her in a very creepy way. And she says, are you guys rapists? And Adam Brody says, oh God, I hate girls. And I'm like, yeah, and like they don't even answer her. They're no, like, they don't even answer. the other band members are silent. Yep. And it's just like such a toxic, scary moment. I like really was very visceral for me. I was like, oh my God, that's such a scary answer to that question. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the fuck kind of answer is that? Um, so, no. Right. And Jennifer tells the band that she's a virgin, thinking that that is going to spare her from being raped. And I remember that was they don't really tell people. I don't I don't think they really tell teenage girls that anymore. I guess I wouldn't really know. But I remember at the time, I don't know about you, but I remember they used to tell us, like, if you're going to be raped, tell them you're a virgin because then they won't rape you. And I'm like, in what universe? Like, In what universe? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I'm not hurt. That is horrifying. Yeah. Like they, I used to hear that in health class and stuff. They'd be like, just say you're a virgin. Say you have AIDS. I'm like, what? They're not going to care. Like they're already going to rape you. Like they clearly don't care about your body. (laughs) Like it's just absurd. Another example in the ways in which we're taught how to not be raped as opposed to just telling people not to be rapists (laughs) yeah exactly um so they're they're actually they want to sacrifice her because they are they're trying to make it as a band and uh they're gonna sacrifice her for fame and they tie her down and they're all before we get into that part though yeah that's a funny moment before i mean it's a kind of like gallows humor 
But um, Adam Brody's character is like, you know, it's really hard to make it as an indie band. You have to get on some shitty soundtrack, which I thought was a nice dig at the OC because yes. the OC got really famous for its soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. It's and then I think totally... they name check Maroon 5. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. They talk about Maroon 5. I mean, it's also like a, you know, a kind of, it's like meta because this, you know, they're, they're through the trees is like the soundtrack of this movie. So, yeah, you're right. And I mean, at this time, like there was such an oversaturation of these guys in music. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an it's also like an interesting time capsule. Um, Mm -hmm. So they tie her down in the again in the woods at the falls at Devil's Kettle Falls. And they uh, they stab her to death uh, while singing eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. Um, uh, that's so terrifying because like really they stopped midway and they're like, "Jimmy, you're the one for me." And she's like looking at them like, "What is going on?" And then they start singing together. Ugh, so trauma. That scene is just so scary to me because it's like that breaking. I don't want to say the fourth wall, but it's like they interrupt this moment of horror with this innocent song. But that's not even all that innocent because I always wonder about the. It's about a stalker, yeah. Like, yeah, it's just so like nuanced that whole. You're just like, oh my god, like. But also, uh, the bandmates like, where did you get that murder weapon? That's a sexy murder weapon. He's like, oh, it's a Bowie knife. And the guy's like, sick Bowie. Yeah, like (laughs) it's very typical of these like rocker kind of dudes, and it's. I mean, the whole scene is just a huge rape metaphor. Yeah, and it's just like they just have zero concern for Jennifer. Like the lack of care is really. They don't even see her as a person. They're like making jokes, basically. Yeah, I mean, and it is really like that writer for Vox said, like that account where Christine Blasey Ford was talking about how Brett Kavanaugh assaulted her and men were standing around and laughing like that is that happens and like not to make it too dark but that is something that when I was raped by a group of guys when I was blackout drunk a few years ago that is something that happened to me like I woke up and guys were all these men were like laughing at me so this this is I mean not to like I don't want to I'll trigger warn the episode like I don't it's hard for me to like when we're talking about things that are so close to me to not talk about my own experience because I just you should talk about yeah yeah you're right I should and it's it's just very this could only have been written and directed by a woman this scene because it's Mm -hmm. it's very accurate of how that experience actually is and it does feel like a death of a kind so it's Mm -hmm. I mean it's like we're told our whole lives that this is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you as a woman and mm-hmm. then it does happen and it's like okay now what the worst thing that's ever could happen to me has happened already and i'm still alive so what now um so yeah. i think the way that the film deals with that is really really smart because she does die and come back as something else uh this new person and I mean, mm-hmm. again, like it happens in the woods. And it's also like the interesting thing here is like the Satanism and the witchcraft being appropriated by men 
and oh yeah and they're perverting it like they ruined it they ruined the sacrifice <laughs> so yeah totally because they use it for their own selfish gains and like exactly yeah and like, I mean they only care about themselves right and I mean I'm sure this is something you're familiar with like Satan has always has been reclaimed throughout centuries by women as like a, a mm-hmm. an agent of empowerment and sexuality mm-hmm. so for these guys to like you know, take Jennifer's power in the woods, which is like this primal, like feminine space and like Mm -hmm. kill her in there. And then she comes back and like, now she fucking owns the woods and she owns (laughs) Satanism. It's like this kind of, it's amazing. Like the, it's very, very, you know, smart. Um, so Jennifer explains that she doesn't know why she's alive, but, she woke up and she found her way back to Needy's, killing and eating the, the Indian exchange too. student. Like, yeah, yeah. She goes back to Needy, not her mom. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she goes back to Needy, <laughs> not anyone else. And she kills and eats this uh, Indian exchange student Ahmed on the way. And poor guy. I know poor so Ahmed. The only Ahmed and Colin, the only nice men in the movie. Um. <laughs> and it's interesting because, like, Colin is, like, you know, he has, like, queer signifiers because, you know, they make a joke about him listening to music that's, like, not traditionally masculine. And then Ahmed is, like, a character of color who's, I guess we're to assume that he's an immigrant. He doesn't speak a lot of English. Well, he's an exchange and, you know, student, they say. Okay, yeah. And, you know, he doesn't get a lot of screen time, but in those moments that we are with Ahmed, we we immediately feel the horror for him because he doesn't know where to go. And like, uh, yeah, the way they treat Colin and Ahmed, it's like a reversal of certain female archetypes in horror films where you empathize with the character only to have something terrible happen to them. Yeah, you're right. And also there's like a a long tradition and this is something I think that the movie gets wrong. There's a long tradition in, um, teen comedies of like the funny foreign exchange student and it's always right. like a very racist trope and here like I don't necessarily think that the portrayal of him is like I, I mean I don't know I guess it's not for me to say like I don't think he's a stereotype mm-hmm. or anything but he uh, you know he still is like a footnote and he's still yeah he's a footnote yeah he's a footnote and he's a casualty in this white story which I automatically you have to be critical of um, right and there was actually really no reason for him to even be in the movie like except as a casualty and I don't necessarily like that um, right so she says when she's full that she's unkillable. But when she's hungry, she starts to wither and needs to feed. And Needy is like, what do you mean when you're full? Um, and Jennifer is just kind of cryptic about it. Out. <laughs> yeah. Jennifer is just kind of cryptic about it. And she leaves through the window. Um, and Needy, there's Colin is, you know, dead. They find him. Yeah. You know, people describe him as lasagna with teeth. Um, and oh, my God. That was so, so gross. gross. Needy does research on the paranormal and finds out that Jennifer is most likely a succubus, which is also interesting because I think hmm. that this is honestly how the media saw Megan Fox at this time as like kind of a succubus. Ah. 
I see. Yeah, so it's kind of like playing with that. Um, Chip approaches Needy. It's also like, you a, go ahead. like I don't want to say a reversal. <laughs> um, I don't want to say it's a reversal, but it is kind of like what we're not used to seeing Succubus portrayed as. Because I'm thinking of, like, for example, Lost Girl, uh-huh. right? He's, like, sexy and seductive, but she doesn't, like, actually kill anybody. Like, sex is her primary, the primary weapon there. But Succubus and Jennifer's body is, like, I'm going to lure you in just to eat you and, like, literally devour you. And I think that that is, like, a traditional Succubus. Like, I think the Succubus is supposed to, like, uses sex, kind of like a vampire, like, uses sex to lure someone in but then, like, devours their soul. So I think that that is, like, the the traditional view of a succubus and then the male version of that is an incubus um <laughs> so like the band <laughs> that was the band yeah. <laughs> so uh chip approaches needy and she tells him not to go to the school formal and that jennifer is actually evil not high school evil <laughs> and not high school evil yeah but like really evil and she tells him about demonic transference and that is what happens when you try to sacrifice someone who isn't a virgin, specifically a woman. So Hmm. this is like a subversion also of the final girl concept and of like the concept of like virginity saving you and um, a rape victim also as, as like a monstrous figure. So, Hmm. you know, because in in horror movies it's like famously like the girl who's a virgin survives and the girl who's a slut dies right and in this like they think she's a virgin um but she's actually a slut and she comes back so the slut doesn't die <laughs> she yeah i was thinking that i was like jennifer is basically the story of every you know quote-unquote slutty girl that dies first in the horror film yes exactly but she is it becomes the the main character of the movie instead and uh yeah there really is no perfect virgin in this movie needy isn't a virgin either so it's Mm -hmm. there there's none of that in this so it's like a subversion of that and then also it plays into this very old trope of the rape victim as monster i mean which starts with medusa like Mm, greek like medusa is raped and that's why she becomes medusa so it's you know like like you were saying earlier when you know megan comes jennifer comes back and she's really mean there is this very smart connection going on between um the this major personality shift after sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh the way that women have historically been portrayed as monstrous after an event like this because you're like a ruined woman like the worst thing that could happen to you has happened to you so uh, right. which is all of course been typically written by men and portrayed by men so um basically yeah so diablo cody and karen kusama are kind of like playing with that um mm-hmm. jennifer is fading again and she needs to feed uh <laughs> needy now we get her some taco bell like yeah seriously <laughs> Uh, and Needy is now he's there. We're going to the dance and Needy is at the dance in this most, the most hideous dress on earth, which is like an homage to okay, 80s I don't teen. understand this dress. This needs its own separate podcast. It really does. It's an affront. <laughs> I couldn't for the life of me understand what I was like. The movie takes place in the 2000s. <laughs> 
and yet there's yeah. thread. I think I think it's supposed to be like an homage to 80s okay. teen movies. <laughs> I don't know if it's like successful because it's so weird and out of place. It's but so awful. It's like the, you know, pretty in pink dress or um like in never been kissed which is not an 80s movie but you know there's a flashback to her in the 80s and that hideous dress so yeah so i think it's supposed to be playing with that maybe there's like a deleted scene we haven't seen (laughs) so (laughs) yeah right because can somebody explain it (laughs) um someone explain it Chip is walking to the dance alone when he's approached by Jennifer, who starts talking about how she's concerned for Needy, and she lies that Colin and Needy were having a sexual relationship, and she tells him that she has feelings for him, <laughs> and they start... Well, she appears like Spectre, like when yeah. she approaches... In that yeah, white dress, like yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, it's like in a field. Like a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, she materializes out of nowhere. Very Wuthering <laughs> yeah it's so like classically gothic it's like he's mm-hmm. it's almost like he's like walking across the moors and <laughs> like a, a ghost is like following him it's very much pl- like that that kind of imagery um mm-hmm. and they start making out and this is you know another big theme of the movie like of lesbian jealousy <laughs> like over oh, right. yeah your best friend's boyfriend and it's like getting to him is a way to get to needy um if i can't have you i'll take your boyfriend exactly huh? <laughs> exactly because uh, you know lesbian girls you know they're all villains and well this is another thing right. is i don't know if they like diablo cody and karen kusama by all accounts are they're married to men so it's, I actually don't know if Diablo Cody's still married to her husband, but regardless, like, this is a little problematic. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's very, uh, you know, it is amazing in a lot of ways because it's written from a women's perspective, but it's like a limited women's perspective. And it's still yeah. kind of uh, their relationship is still kind of uh, filtered through this heterosexual gaze. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I just feel like Diablo Cody, like when she was talking about, oh, I had close relationships with my female friends, blah, blah, blah. I feel like she was using like queer women as like a more of a symbol than actual, an actual thing that actually happens. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, but do you know that feeling? Because some of us grew up to actually yeah, be exactly. dykes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what about those of us who grew up to actually be in relationships with women? So right, because like if you're a queer person watching this movie, it takes on other like meanings as opposed to if you're like heterosexual and you're watching, you're like, oh yeah, I've had relationships with someone you know who have might have been of the same gender. Where it's like I felt romantic tension, but you know that was just in high school. Like, and it's like meanwhile we're the ones that they felt romantic tension with, and we're like anyway, we're still gay. <laughs> um, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> So it's, yeah, definitely. Um, Low Shoulder is playing at the dance. Of course. (laughs) Of course. course. And uh, (laughs) Jennifer and uh, Colin are still, not Colin, Jennifer and Chip are still making out. And she says, say I'm better than needy. Um, Which, again, is like like lesbian jealousy predatory thing. 
Um, mm-hmm. And Needy can telepathically feel that Jennifer is with Chip. And she's always connected to Jennifer. Yes. And Needy runs to find Chip, who is in an abandoned, overgrown indoor pool. <laughs> which That scene, that shot is so... I love how ugly it is, but it's also gorgeous in its ugliness. Because it's like the water, the vines. It's very... The last couple shots of the film are very interesting. Yes. Like what they're doing. It's really gorgeous. And there's also graffiti on the on the wall that says "hopeless." Um, oh yeah, they did yeah. say that. And Jennifer says, "I feel so empty," which is like a double entendre, right? Because she's empty, like mm-hmm. literally, because she needs to eat. But she's also empty inside. Um, and this is they like start kissing again, but Chip rejects Jennifer, and he's like, "I can't do this," and she flips out. Yeah, because he like empathizes with her for a moment there, because she's like, "I feel so empty," and he's like, "Yeah, me too." Yes, and it's like the only moment where I'm like, "Oh, it's not that bad." <laughs> yeah, well, this is like the you know the last you know his last scene, I guess, like sort of redeems him, whatever. Um, yeah whatevs Uh, Chip rejects her and she flips out and she drags him into this pool and starts to feed on him and Needy arrives and finds Jennifer feeding on Chip and Needy and Jennifer fight and um, Jennifer like famously floats above the pool and he's like oh my god she's flying and Needy is like it's not that impressive she's just floating (laughs) she's like why are you being a player hater yeah and they exchange like a bunch of verbal digs and Jennifer is like, mm-hmm. I was the snowflake queen. And Needy is like, yeah, when you were socially relevant and didn't need laxatives to say skinny. Oh so it's just like this. I like the nice big Hannah Montana. That was a really good one. That, yeah, that was really funny. Um, this is like there's like some of the best lines in the movie in this scene. And yeah, and it's also interesting that this is the scene where Needy's like, You were never a good friend. Like, she brings it to the focus that Jennifer might not have been the best friend that she could have been for her. Yeah. And you kind of feel this heartbreak for Needy because it's like, Your friend is gone and she's this monster, and you know, something terrible happened to her. But also at the same time, she's not a good friend. So there's like all this conflicting emotion and. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, it also like, you know, brings again up that theme of like the thin line between obsession and hatred and Mm -hmm. frenemies and all that shit. Um, And Needy, you know, she's like going to kill Needy, too. And she says, I I thought you only murdered boys. And Jennifer says, I go both ways, (laughs) which is a great line. It's. And it's a great line, but it also it's kind of like the what the that bisexual trope that's also slightly problematic. Definitely. Well, and also something I found interesting is Megan Fox is actually bisexual. Um, yes. And has said like has used the word bisexual. Like she's not just saying like yeah I could fall in love with anyone. Like she said I am bisexual. So it's right. uh, that is interesting too. I believe she was out at this time as well. Um, mm-hmm. so it, it's like a, a sort of like almost a nod to that as, as well. 
Um, yeah, and it also falls into question, too, um, because in the movie we're watching, and we're always presented with the evidence that it's maybe who's in love with Jennifer. What if it was the other way around? What if this is like a Regina George case where Jennifer is mean because she is, you know, Obsessed. dealing with... Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, she's closeted. What if she's, like, you know, dealing with, like, being a queer person and, you know, just... There's a lot there. There's a lot going on with Jennifer's character. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you're right. I think that I think that the love that they have for each other is like mutual. And I think that mm, they're yeah. just they have no idea how to express it other than this like intense hatred um, right. of each other. So Chip impales Jennifer with like a steel rod and she escapes through the window and Needy and Chip have a moment and he dies. Whatever. <laughs> and now we're back to the beginning scene in Jennifer. <laughs> I know I'm such a bitch. We're back to the beginning wait, scene. Wait, 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 wait. We have to go back to the best line in that scene, though. She's like, I'm going to eat your soul and shit it out with Megan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, give Megan Fox the Oscar for that line. That yeah, honestly, great. bring her back. Like, I would really like to see her in movies again. Um, yes. <laughs> so. Now we're back to the scene in the beginning in Jennifer's room where Needy breaks in and attacks her and Jennifer bites Needy in the attack and Mm -hmm. she like brings out a box cutter to Needy brings out a box cutter to stab her and uh, Jennifer says, do you buy all your weapons at Home Depot? God, you're butch. (laughs) Yeah, some more (laughs) queer baiting there. And uh, right. they fight midair, and it looks kind of almost like they're having sex. And it does. It really does. It does. So some more of that there, which is also very reminiscent of The Lost Boys because there's a lot of gay subtext in that movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of floating in the air. <laughs> so <laughs> Needy rips off Jennifer's BFF necklace, which is very symbolic, and she stabs mm-hmm. her in the heart with the box cutter. And Jennifer says, my tit. <laughs> um, and Jennifer's mom finds Needy like with the body like freshly killed it's a pretty horrific scene and it is is that the first we're seeing of her mom by the way it is the first and only time I was like does she have a mom and then her mom I was like oh she did have a mom okay yes cool. <laughs> so we're back to Needy in solitary confinement and now she's floating and she says that she was turned into a demon by Jennifer's bite. Um, and uh, yeah. There's a lot of symbolism here around the bite. Yeah. yeah a lot of queer stuff going on. English um, major in me wants to go, let's unpack that. Yeah, exactly. Like, how? Do, where do you even begin? Uh, like, you know, just, I mean, also the link to vampirism, which is also a huge queer trope yes. um and you know they're they're forever connected just like they were before telepathically all vampires are gay and people can fight me on that but <laughs> every single vampire in the world is queer and every single yeah, demon is queer you can't live for hundreds of years feasting on people and not be queer come on uh, yeah i mean like the, the evidence is just there it's like... just there it's just empirically there um <laughs> So she breaks out of the hospital, and while on the road, she sees the dagger that killed Jennifer, the Bowie knife, 
and it's now we know ah, right. right we know now where the devil's kettle leads because they tossed the dagger into the the vortex and it came out the other side mm-hmm. and now i mean this is also heavily symbolic like needy can now see the other side of things like mm-hmm. she used to be this innocent kind of nerdy girl and now she's like on this completely other side of life um and she's become right. like an outsider other and she takes that knife and she hitchhikes and she immediately gets picked up by a creep who's like obviously yeah he's like obviously some kind of predator but of course we know that she has she's she could kill him and eat him if she wanted to uh so he's like getting my chariot it's like chariot like yeah he's really gross it kind of is like also like the end of the movie teeth have you seen that movie again it's kind of like the end of the movie teeth where she gets oh, yes, in yes. the car with the guy yeah um and yes. she's she's off to find low shoulder and this is when hole starts playing <laughs> but <laughs> it's not jennifer's body um it's violet it's violet yeah which i mean i kind of prefer because it would have been too like matchy matchy to have it be jennifer's body um and then we get the epilogue where we see in a series of like a, like a montage that uh, Needy has killed and eaten all of the members of Low Shoulder. <laughs> yeah, and those scenes are so like not to be like true crime all about it, but those shots are so gorgeous though. <laughs> they really are. I mean, and also like the the police crime scene shots at the end, like right. it's you know it's really uh, fun and um, even the like to get graphic designy with it even the text introducing everybody's names like the neon pink text over like these gory mm-hmm. crime scenes is so like riot girl <laughs> um it's so stylized it's, it's so like, stylized okay. yeah i really love it so that is jennifer's body wait um, wait wait but the last shot we see that adam brody has been stabbed with his own Bowie knife. Oh yes, I yeah I forgot that detail. Yeah, so it's all yeah. like full circle. What do you mm-hmm. think is going to happen with Needy after this? You know, um, she doesn't have a boyfriend named Chip anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's only one way after that is up, right? <laughs> Just be a succubus, um, yeah. I kind of feel like she's now, like you were saying, on the outsides of society. So I don't actually don't know. Like, I, yeah, maybe she's going to keep hitchhiking and killing dudes. I, I hope know. so. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I think now, like 10 years later, I think we're like read, more ready for this movie. But I think at the time when it came out, I think it was just like too over the top. I, I think it just went over people's heads. Um, and yeah. it's yeah i mean i thanks for picking it it was really fun to revisit it yeah it was it was great i mean i think it's fun in a lot of ways and like there's so much subtext there like we were talking about that you can have a field day just revisiting some of those tropes like the religious imagery that is surely in the movie <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. There's so much of it. So much like witch imagery, so much Catholic imagery, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you could I mean, you could go on and on like witches were said to live in the woods and then like all of this stuff that happens in the woods with witchcraft. And it's very mm-hmm. it's all linked 
and um you know witches were also said to to be able to to communicate with each other telepathically and that's what jennifer and Needy are doing in the movie and um it's just very like rich with all of those things and on the surface seems like this kind of like teen sex romp but is so much more than that um yeah so is there any any last words that you want to say about jennifer's body I want to talk a little bit about low shoulder. Okay. <laughs> I feel like by saying that, I feel like that scene in Death Becomes Her when they're like, it's a group therapy, and the lady's like, I want to talk about Madeline Ashton, and then the other one starts screaming. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about low shoulder. Someone brings up their name, and I want to start screaming. But um, did they have any other songs in the movie, or is it just through the it's trees? It's just through the trees, Yeah. Which is already a stalkerish kind of song. Oh, like, totally. So, yeah. The band is so creepy. <laughs> They're creeps. I hate them. They're awful. And like Adam Brody is the most loathsome, but like all of them are awful. Um yeah, I mean, they're very specific kind of guys that I think we've all met at one very... point in our lives. <laughs> Been there. I think the other stuff is don't date boys in indie bands. No, like, don't. Don't do it. <laughs> um, so, Serafina, where can people find you on social media if you want them to? Uh, I'm on Instagram, and uh, I have a Twitter account, but I've literally not tweeted a single thing. So. Please come to <laughs> join me in Twitter land. I'm there. Um and you can find me on Instagram as Girls Guts Jallo, and you can also find me on Twitter as Girls Guts Jallo. And most importantly, you can find my Patreon at patreon.com slash Girls Guts Jallo. Just Girls Guts Jallo, no and. And uh, you will, you're going to get a newsletter with all of the readings that I did for this episode. So check that out. Um, and until next time, thank you, Serafina, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And I'm Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. See you next Friday. All alone in an empty room. Nothing left but the memories of when I had my best friend. And I don't know how we ended up here. I don't know, but it's never been so clear. We made a mistake.